DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. You know what that sound means. It's the holidays, the season of giving. Matt Gorn here with Michael Thomas, and we're hanging okay, out. Okay, let's, pro- let's stop with the bell. The bell is part of it. It's the donation bell. The bell? Okay. Give us your money. Please, please, Matt. Unhand my bell, sir. Not until you promise to stop ringing it. I can make no such Give promise. Give me the bell, Matt. Hey, let it go. There. Okay. As I was saying, on today's episode of Nothing Funny About Money... Backup bell. Stop it! <sighs> hey, you threw my backup bell in the bush. We're talking about charity today. Oh, my goodness. Ah, I can still hear it ringing in my ears. Guess I'll switch to the air horn. Speaking of giving it away, charity is big business in this country. Charity isn't a business at all. Oh, really? Charity is one of the biggest industries, and I can prove it. Okay. How much do Americans spend on charity each year? All right, this is a tough one. Um, Can I call a friend? No, you ran out of lifelines three episodes ago. Hmm. How about $50 billion? We actually spend a lot more. How much more? Nearly 10 times more. According to Giving USA, individuals, foundations, and corporations donated $427 billion last year. That's a lot of money. I knew that we were generous, but not that generous. To put that in context, the entire sports industry in the U.S. only brought in $75 billion in revenue. That's the NFL, Major League Baseball, golf, everything put together. So more than five times that much goes to charity. We Americans love our sports, but maybe we like donating even more. Yeah. Americans are the most generous nation, measured both as a percent of income donated and in absolute dollars. The average American gives away 3% of their income. Michael, you discuss charity a lot in your financial coaching sessions, and you found something surprising about how much people give versus how much they think they give. Yes, I recently incorporated a what is versus what isn't component in my sessions, and uh, which basically means that people have to actually fact check themselves. And what did you find? I found that people think they give away about 6% of their income, if not more, but actually give away a lot less than that. Hmm. So maybe give more. Yes, Give till it hurts. No. Speaking of people who give a lot, some listeners may be surprised to know that the super rich are the most generous Americans by amount donated. What about as a percent of their vast, unimaginable wealth? Not even close. Low-income people give about twice as much as everyone else as a percent of their income. So the people who have the least give the most. Stop changing the subject. Our nation would be lost without its plutocrats. The top 1% are responsible for about 75% of all donations. More than 90% of them donate, and some of them donate a 
lot. Well, if you've got billions of dollars, even a relatively small donation can mean a lot. Just 1% of a billion dollars is still like 10 million bucks. Which brings us to our latest segment, Top 8 American Philanthropists of All Time. Number 8, Chuck Feeney gave away 100% of his $8 billion fortune. Number 7, adjusted for inflation, Andrew Carnegie gave away $9.7 billion, 90% of his wealth. Number 6, J.D. Rockefeller gave away $10 billion in today's dollars, leaving his family with merely $390 billion. So sad. Number 5, Helen Walton, the highest-ranking woman philanthropist, left over $16 billion to charity at her death. Number four, Mark Zuckerberg, the highest-ranking android philanthropist, has donated over $17 billion so far. Are you liking his voice? Like, I think I'm doing the, the good radio You're voice doing here. great. <laughs> Number three, George Soros has donated nearly twice that, $32 billion. Number two, Warren Buffett has him beat, donating almost $47 billion. He plans to give away 99% of his wealth. <laughs> the voice is getting more extreme ever. <laughs> this leaves us with the most generous philanthropist. Hold on, where's your voice, Matt? I'm, give us a voice. Is, my voice is always nice. Give us a voice. This is a voice. I'm usually kind of squeaky. This leaves us with the most generous philanthropist of all time, measured by total donated, Mr. Bill Gates, who with his wife Melinda has given away over $50 billion. For the record, that is more than Michael, Chris, and I put together. Hard to believe, but true. <laughs> Speaking of Bill Gates, uh, he has a show on Netflix called Decoding Bill Gates. And if you have not watched it, you need to, um, because he's actually talking about different ways in which he's trying to use his wealth to actually do good things around the world. So it's pretty awesome. And if you love our show, please go to nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org slash donate to contribute to our mission of bringing a lighthearted spin to an otherwise scary topic. Money. Money! Educational endeavors like ours do get quite a bit of donations. If you lump all charities into a few categories, education gets the second most donations per year at $60 billion. Almost as much as all the entire sports industry. The number one category, though, is religious organizations. They rank first in the receipt of charitable gifts, totaling over $120 billion. And those donations are then spent on a variety of causes. Some of them are evangelical and in the service of the church. But a lot of them go to feeding the homeless, providing medicine across the world, and so on and so forth. Charity, by definition, is an organization set up to provide help and raise money for those in need. That need can revolve around so many things like helping our veterans deal with the long-term effects of PTSD. Or more generally, providing mental health services to underserved communities. Or to protect battered and abused women. Or the creation of meal and snack programs to address childhood hunger. Or, something I'm really a big fan of, to protect the environment. We can go on and on, but the need is great. That it is. And we all benefit. Hundreds of billions of dollars a year go to charity, and all that money does a lot of good for millions of people. But the best way to see that impact may be to focus on just one person. 
Our grandmother heard that they were giving away free cheese to families like ours in the housing projects all over the country. So grandma sent us out to get it. Ariva Martin is a partner and founder at Martin and Martin, an L.A.-based civil rights firm. She was raised by her grandmother in the housing projects of St. Louis. And that cheese, it was donated by a nonprofit. Charity cheese. Precisely. Isn't it the folks in your local communities that you look to? The church down the street? Maybe even people in your community that you don't even know but who have come together in a nonprofit to do good. Ariva makes the point here that even though she lived in a housing project, nonprofits often have to bridge the need gap in their community, maybe because of large government bureaucracy or the fact that welfare programs in the U.S. are not funded enough to provide help to everyone that needs help. Localized institutions like churches often step in to provide what the government can't or won't. When her son was diagnosed with autism, she learned how limited the resources are for autistic kids, and she wanted to do something to bridge that gap. And and I was trying to figure out what was the next step. I remembered the cheese. So when it became my time, it, it was almost like second nature for me to start a nonprofit. I call it the Special Needs Network. It wasn't that She was a successful lawyer that inspired Ariva to spark change in her own community. It was that she had been helped by a nonprofit in her formative years. This memory empowered her to pass it on and create a nonprofit that would benefit the next generation. Ariva appears in talk shows as part of her advocacy, including this TEDx talk we're re-airing. Turns out families were hoping for the services that we would bring. And now, after 10 years, we've helped 50,000 kids and families right here in our own Los Angeles community. Ariva tells a story in which a man says, there is no profit in nonprofits. But she makes the point that her own experience proves that wrong. Maybe there's no profit immediately. Without the charity that she received as a child, though, she never would have helped all those families. And 50,000 kids is a whole lot of families. With any luck, some of those kids will be successful and empowered enough by the nonprofit programs to pass on the goodwill, maybe by founding their own charity someday, which would be awesome. So far, we've covered how much is donated and how those donations change lives. But how do we get from A to B? How do charities actually work? We've got to take a break for now, but before we go, quiz time. (laughs) Which charity receives the most donations? And now, for the first time, you can post your answers on our Facebook page to see how well you did versus the rest of our audience. You can log into Facebook, search for our Nothing Funny About Money page, and then check out our latest poll. And go ahead and like our page while you're at it. If you're listening to this as a podcast, go ahead and pause now. Or if you're on the road, pull over, please, shut off your car, (laughs) and log in on your phone. Which charity do you think gets the most donations? Think about it, mull it over, make posts on our Facebook page. We'll get you that answer after the break. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Elwood and Getz. 
Athens-only wealth management firm registered with the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, offering fee-only comprehensive retirement planning. AthensWealthManagement.com. Welcome back. I'm Matt Gorin here with Michael Thomas and Chris Shoup. That song is Everybody Hurts by Athens rock legends R.E.M. While most people have heard it, few know it's about teen suicide. If that's a cause you care about, check out Nucci Space here in Athens. Among other things, they offer a recording studio for musicians and event space, and they're also a suicide prevention nonprofit. You can find them at Nucci.org. N-U-C-I dot org. Before the break, we asked you which charity receives the most donations. What do you guys think? UNICEF. I don't know. UNICEF? UNICEF. Why do you think it's UNICEF? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, actually, you know what I actually think? The ASPCA. Those commercials. Right, Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, my gosh. Right. How could they not be leading the way with those commercials? Or perhaps... um, What's the one? The World Hunger Foundation. I was I was actually thinking World Hunger. Yeah, Foundation. The, the World Hunger Foundation. Maybe that's another. That's another. Again, I, I'm thinking in terms of the ones that seem to be most profoundly in front of us on yes. a regular basis. Heavy marketing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, that's that's what I think. Is... I I think you're totally right. My guess is the Red Cross, mm-hmm. and we have the vampires. Li- <laughs> I have a conspiracy so, no, theory a, about that's that. a misconception. <laughs> They're vampire hunters. Mm. Oh. Okay. oh, that's interesting. We have the list pulled up here, and uh, we were all wrong. The correct answer at number one is the United Way Worldwide. They receive almost $4 billion in donations every year. And what was number two? Feeding America. Okay. So we're ballpark. We're, we're close, yeah. yeah. Red Cross is number 21 way off. A lot of those top charities are household names, in part because they have huge public relations budgets. The more that these organizations get in front of us, like Chris was saying, the more they're on our mind, and so the more donations that they get. But wait a minute. If a charity is spending a lot of money on marketing, doesn't that mean that less is going toward, you know, charity? You've touched on a big debate in the nonprofit world. Let's hear Dan Pilata's take. He's an accomplished nonprofit director who's worked on causes from breast cancer treatment to AIDS and suicide prevention. So we've all been taught that charities should spend as little as possible on overhead things like fundraising under the theory that, well, the less money you spend on fundraising, the more money there is available for the cause. Well, that's true if it's a depressing world in which this pie cannot be made any bigger. But if it's a logical world in which investment in fundraising actually raises more funds and makes the pie bigger, then we have it precisely backwards and we should be investing more money, not less in fundraising, because fundraising is the one thing that has the potential to multiply the amount of money available for the cause that we care about so deeply. So you basically have to spend money to make money. But that's not necessarily the view of all nonprofit managers. 
We're fortunate here in Athens to have a vibrant nonprofit community, so we brought in a local expert. Let's welcome Sarah McKinney, President and CEO of the Athens Area Community Foundation. The Athens Area Community Foundation is a public grant-making foundation, and we work to grow, distribute, and preserve philanthropic assets for our community. You're providing the money. We are providing the money. How much money collectively are you raising for these folks? Most years we'll average about $2 million out the door. Millions of bucks, all local around us. For the most part. We do some national and international grant-making, but most of it stays local. Right on. And we just heard a clip from Dan Pallotta, and he says that the need to grow a charity's operations and revenue takes precedent over the need to do charitable work. Is that something you agree with? I'm going to say yes. I will say yes from the standpoint of I think we have designed some business model for nonprofits that focuses too much on the service delivery and not enough on the quality of service, retention of staff, growth. And I think we have compromised in some ways our ability to deliver the services of a nonprofit because we've become so focused on what some random operating percentage is. It's almost like you're supposed to feel bad if you want to pay your staff. Correct. And that's not fair. Not fair to the people who work there. That is not fair at all. And what I tell most people when they want to talk about the operating budget I do not think nonprofits need to be lean, mean machines in order to be the biggest and the best. And I think we have sacrificed service. I think we've lost an extraordinary amount of talent in the nonprofit sector because the for-profits get them or nonprofits who are willing to pay will get them. But I think uh, focusing on an operating budget that's really not at all comparable to anything real world isn't realistic. I I told somebody the other day, when you bought that stick of deodorant at Target, were you wondering what the Procter & Gamble CEO was making, or did you just want to smell good? Um, (laughs) And that might be a silly, silly comparison, but I, I am not one to entertain the operating budget discussion. And part of the problem with losing these folks is that you can't survive long term. If you don't have a sustainable model, you're not doing good for these people in your community next year, two years from now. If we have people who are focused and willing to work the long haul in the sector, we will see better outcomes as well. I think if we are able to simply have marketing budgets, I mean, that's a simple basic of any business is the, is the capacity and the ability to market what you do and do it well. Yet in the nonprofit world, if you take out a billboard, it's seen as extra. I don't agree with a narrative that's driven the nonprofit sector that we have to look poor, be poor, be scrounging year over year because that's what we're supposed to do. We're serving, in many cases, the least of these. We are fixing big world problems. We're changing the way we think about the environment. I mean, you name it, and I just don't understand why we would never care what a stick of deodorant CEO was making, but we would care about what the homeless shelter executive director takes home. Yeah. To get back to that billboard, a billboard might cost $500, $700, something like that. But then you might see very big return on investment from that. Correct. But that's not the way the narrative works in most of the nonprofits. Changing the world with this interview. Thank you. There are some people listening, though, who might say it's all well and good that someone needs to pay those salaries, that someone needs to pay for the billboards. But 
I want my money to go directly to this charitable service. Is that realistic at all? I think it's realistic, but I also think it's on the nonprofit sector then to drive themselves more like a business. And the unit cost of whatever you are doing should include your operational costs, your marketing costs, your cost to employ. And if we got into talking about kind of a projects-based idea within the nonprofits many, many years ago where, you know, if you provide $500, we can do this thing. And it's trained the minds of people who are willing to contribute to not considering and not thinking about the operating budget dollar. I think the nonprofits must be charged with leading in such a way that they have the confidence and the ability to fundraise, develop, grant right for their organizations, and the confidence to understand that they can move beyond the project-based ask. There are savvy philanthropists, foundations, businesses who will give. Many people became successful because they understood how to articulate their messaging. So I'm going to put it back on the nonprofit sector to step out a little bit. Can anybody get excited about funding operating expenses? Is there any way to say, yeah, we are going to buy a copy machine with this money, and you should be happy for that? Again, I think it's on the nonprofit sector to be able to storytell, articulate their outcomes, have the metrics that back up the need for that copy machine. You know, that's kind of the difference in qualitative meets quantitative informing of the public of your service. If you truly understand what it takes to, I really don't want to call out any particular nonprofit. No, do it. And I mean, let's... um. Well, I mean, let's talk about extra special people, for example. I mean, they're, they do an extraordinary job in our community. Um, their marketing is exceptional. Their mission is beautiful. Their board leads with great intention. And there are many other nonprofits doing just as an incredible a job. But I bet there are few, if any, donors who, when they contribute, would even remotely think about the copy machine. Because the individuals with disabilities who are being served by camp in the summer they need the copy machine to inform their parents about the spaghetti supper next month. And, you know, I'm making up things about their mission, but they have done an extraordinary job both storytelling and explaining the outcomes of their organization. That's a much easier sell. Absolutely. And, you know, all nonprofits are transparent. You can pull their 990s. You can see the top salaries for those in the organization. And we've got to be prepared to not be ashamed of those as well when we are fairly paid. I hope you've motivated some people, maybe get involved with you. How does someone go about helping out the Athens Area Community Foundation? They are always welcome to call, especially this time of year, year end, 706-357-7148. We are always wanting to be the point of service for philanthropic guidance in our communities. So whether or not people have a fund with us at the Athens Area Community Foundation, if they have a question about where their dollars deployed can do the most good, please call us. 706-357-7148. And we will make you feel good about the way you give. That sounds good to me. Thanks. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate you. That was Sarah McKinney of the Athens Area Community Foundation. You can check out their great work at AthensAreaCF.org. Sarah is not the only one involved in charity work here in Athens. Our very own Jean Davis spends her free time as an investigative reporter. Recently, she turned her skeptical eye towards a well-known charity. Totally unsupervised, she sent us the following segment. I met someone at a party once who mentioned she had recently donated some 10 inches of her hair to Locks of Love, a popular charity that collects donated hair to make into wigs for people experiencing hair loss due to a medical condition. 
Speaking with the false authority of someone who had read something on the internet once and believed it, I told her that contrary to popular belief, Locks of Love actually charged kids with cancer thousands of dollars for their hair pieces. If you haven't had the pleasure of telling a perfect stranger they had just cut off all of their hair for no reason, there is something smugly satisfying about it. However, that Locks of Love sells their hair to sick children for exorbitant prices wasn't a special insight that I had stumbled upon, but a legend widely established enough to have its own Snopes article, which rates the claim as mostly false, the same rating given to a claim that Obama ordered the CIA to train ISIS fighters. Locks of Love, by their own admission, sells up to 80% of the hair donated to them, and that they do so is not immediately suspect. The sold hair is often going to for-profit wig makers, but the charity also uses a sliding scale for their completed hair pieces, meaning that some recipients will receive a free wig and some presumably pay full price. Locks of Love functions to turn a resource that nearly anyone can donate, hair, into a usable product. And, as Snopes puts it, if that need is aided by selling some of the donated hair for a profit that can be used to cover the charity's overhead costs, the primary function of the charity is still being served. There are no shortage of real fake charities out there, though. One is the Kids Wish Network, a Florida-based charity that seems to bank on the name recognition of the better-known Make-A-Wish Foundation and ostensibly operates with a similar goal of granting wishes to children with life-threatening medical conditions. However, only about 14% of its contributions go towards actually providing services to children, with the bulk of the cash going towards paying the telemarketing companies that fundraise for them. The Youth Development Fund promises to educate children about drug abuse, health, and fitness, but 80% of its donations go to telemarketing companies, and much of the rest of it goes, bizarrely, to its founder's own for-profit production company to fund scuba diving videos featuring its founder, which the charity then pays to air on a local Knoxville station for an audience of about 3,600 people. Are there any charities that you can feel good about donating to? Well, Snopes, for one, has a PayPal. But I couldn't find any information listed about how that money is allocated in the 30 seconds I spent looking for it. And perhaps the most damning is that Snopes lists the claim that Snopes itself is a hoax as false, which is exactly what it would say if it was a hoax. Which leads me to ask, who Snopes Snopes? We have got to wean Gene off coffee. You know what? I've got to go check on something really quick. We're in the middle of recording. Just edit this out. All this scam charity stuff is making me wonder about the ARC. Aren't you on the board of directors? Hey, Michael, what are you doing? I'm going to get to the bottom of this right now. Oh, hi, Michael. I've got no time for you now, Jimmy. Oh. I've got to check the books and make sure an acceptably low level of our donations is going to overhead. This shouldn't take long if I drive recklessly. Really? Ark says that they're a safety net for the community. But what if they're the web? Instead of helping families make ends meet through unexpected job loss, reduction in hours, or unexpected financial emergencies, what if they're actually perpetuating the vicious cycle of poverty and despair? What if the Ark really isn't a neighbor helping its neighbor? What if there's some evil syndicate preying on the false hopes and dreams of the down and out like ravenous vampires? How could I have joined the board of such an organization? 
What's wrong with me? Mike, dang it. Get it together. Just go talk to Stephanie. She'll help you sort through all this stuff. Well, if it isn't Stephanie Cockfield, Financial Education Director of the ARC United Ministry Outreach Center in Athens, Georgia. Oh, hi, Michael. Are you okay? You're drenched in sweat. I need you to level with me. Is the ARC a legitimate, not-for-profit organization? I need to know, and I need to know now. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Canon Financial Strategists, an advisory firm that helps organizations and individuals design, maintain, and monitor retirement plans for a better financial future. More information available at canonplanners.com. We've got ourselves very special guest at our Dickensian orphanage today. Arthur and Gillian Henderson are philanthropists. Filled up with this? Quiet, you! <laughs> Silence! Our Q3 fundraising hall was lackluster, and that's putting it gently. Since Abigail left for that human resources job, we haven't had the person power to promote our capital enhancement drive. And don't even get me started on gruel futures. These tariffs are murder on our budget. Hello? Oh, hello, Jillian. Wonderful to have you. Thank you, thank you. You remember Arthur? Yes. Hello again. A pleasure. Oh, look. All the boys are wearing period-appropriate dress attire. These little wretches clean up nicely, don't they? Is that one petting a rat? I'm sure both of you are very busy, so let's discuss your generous offer. Of course. We just had a few questions first. Please go ahead. Well... Just how much of our donation would actually go to adoption placement? Adoption placement specifically is 7% of the budget. Pretty standard. That's so low. We do so much more than adoption placement. Education, for example. What sort of education? All these children memorize directions to the coal mine. That's it? Uh, that's just an example. They also learn how to make their own delousing powder from old industrial solvents. My goodness! And room and board, you would not believe what boiled cabbage costs these days. Hmm, I think we were hoping to help get these boys in permanent homes. Absolutely. That is our mission. What about that sign that says, Our mission is to convert miserable brats... Mm -hmm into forced labor and or cannon fodder. Oh, <laughs> that is a joke. A terrible, stupid joke that I cannot believe I forgot to take off the wall before you came. Is there some way our donation would go directly to adoption placement? You must appreciate we have so much overhead. Who's keeping these lights on? I assumed those orphans on the treadmills. Yes, but who's buying the treadmills? And who's feeding them? We need staff. We couldn't afford our cleaning service one week, and some rat crawled under the oven and died. You would not believe the smell. Look, I'm sorry. These boys seem very nice, but I just don't feel comfortable with all this. Thank you for your time. Ah, uh, 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 oh, Foozler. Can I have some more, please? 
No, you can't have some more. We spent our food budget on direct mailers. Now get out of here, all of you. Get more coal in those boilers. You go clean that bat nest from the rafters. Whose tuberculosis hanky is this? Whose tuberculosis hanky is this? That's right. Back-to-back skits. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Uh, We're joined in the studio by Stephanie Cockfield from the ARC, a charity here in Athens that helps folks overcome financial emergencies that could lead to homelessness. Yes. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. How are you, Stephanie? (laughs) I'm good. How are you doing? Welcome. And we are also joined by our producer, Chris Shoup. Yes. Greetings. So if we can take a step back here for listeners who aren't familiar with the ARC and sure. all the things the ARC does, what are like the top things that you guys do? Top would definitely be the emergency financial assistance. When that happens, we will pay the landlord directly to help okay. them avoid an eviction. So the money that you are giving to these folks to right. prevent these small emergencies from becoming catastrophes. Absolutely. Where's that money coming from? So we do receive um, some grant funding, private grants in the community. We have Creature Comforts, Walton EMC, Georgia Power, just to name a few of the folks here in the community that help us out through grants. And then we also do fundraising. Hold up. Step back. You mentioned mentioned Georgia Power, but then you followed that with Creature Comforts. And you just sort of of laid that in there. This is the top of my head. I'm sorry. You just layered that in there. And I got to ask. Drinking beer does good. (laughs) For people who aren't in Athens and have no idea what we're talking about, it's a relatively new brewery here. And they're... Famous for being the beer that Thor drinks in Infinity War. <laughs> yes, and, which I mean, is one of my favorites. As and if well. you're a Brave yeah. fan, you can't. As soon as you walk into the stadium, like they're they're set up right there. So there yeah. you go. Yeah, it's they're uh, they're big time. They're legit. So when people think of nonprofits, the common thought is that people who work for nonprofits get paid less than okay. people who work for for profits. At least that's my intuition. Sure. Is that that doesn't seem like it's your intuition. I definitely think it depends on the nonprofit. Um, Go on. I think (laughs) I know for my situation, (laughs) I did come from corporate world into nonprofit world, and I did take a salary decrease, which I would do again and again because I was not – it just wasn't my calling in the corporate world. So if you can find a job where it's you've got passion and the pay, that's great, but it doesn't always work out that way. I – have a livable salary, but compared to corporate, it's definitely less. Sure. What was that transition like? You know, I got this college degree. I get this really good job. is really paying well right out the gate, and I had really good benefits. I'm going to start volunteering at a nonprofit, and, you know, volunteering, that's no money. <laughs> and um, I had heard about the ARC when I was coming through my financial planning degree program, and when I called them, they kind of laughed because I called asking if they were hiring, <laughs> <laughs> and they were just like, ha ha, you know, do you need assistance well, or something? Well, the way my overhead looks right now. <laughs> right, right, right. So they did kind of laugh and chuckle and they're like, well, you know, you can volunteer, but we're a nonprofit and it's more of what we do and we don't, we're not really hiring. I was like, oh, okay, sure. 
So I went from, you know, working to volunteering. Now, I did thoughtfully plan that out. I was married and my husband was working. But of course, when he and I got married, we joked that I was the sugar mama. I actually <laughs> made more than him. So then joke was on him because soon after that, you showed him. I left and started working, started volunteering, working for free. And so I was like, ha ha, you thought you had something there. But, but we did, you know, do our finances and we could make it and it was going to be tough. Uh, that is my field. So I did sit down and work out the numbers like we can do this. But at the end of the day, I just I wasn't fulfilled. And I was like, this is not right. where I'm supposed to be. So I just started doing that. But my passion was always the budget counseling, the finances part. And so what I had to do to build that program up is basically kind of work for free a little bit to yeah. do the budget counseling part. But then I was also doing the fundraising part. So I was kind of doing two jobs at one time um, to make this dream kind of come a reality. Wow. That's a huge commitment. Yeah. I want to drive this point, but why was that so important to you? Because I can see some people as you went through that, I was like, I could never do that. What do you get out of serving the community? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, what do I not get? It's, um, I feel so fulfilled every day by helping some. I think that, I think most people do feel that way. That's why you do have philanthropists and you have businesses like Creature Comforts, I think people, you know, they do it for a lot of reasons. But one reason is it does make us feel good to help somebody else. Your ability and the ARC's capacity to serve is dependent upon donations, grants, resources, and money. Absolutely. So if there are people out there who are listening right now who empathize with Stephanie and others who work in this space, well, there's actually something that we can do about it. We can actually support We can contribute. We can do a lot of different things to ensure that even if we don't have the time and the space and the capacity to do the good that we want, that there are places like the ARC that are doing it. So if the way that you want to contribute and give back is actually through your giving because you can, do that with the ARC. Because if Stephanie is well, that means that there's going to be more capacity for the ARC to bring on maybe more people to do more good in our community. Sure. You have to pay the people who work for the nonprofits. It's not even a dark secret or something. If no one is being paid a salary, they're not going to work there. Absolutely. You wouldn't be doing this for free. And in fact, all four of us work for nonprofits. Yeah. The University of Georgia, where Michael and Chris work, is a nonprofit. I work for a couple different nonprofits myself. Are we all taking a pay cut, as Stephanie so generously did? I refuse to answer the question on the grounds that it might incriminate me. <laughs> I know. Right. I would take my answer back I, immediately. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not commenting. You're no, not commenting? No, no. no but, but, but I, but I, I, would, I would have to uh, echo what Stephanie said. Coming from the corporate world, right. I think the, uh, right. the compensation was a, was a bit more, for me at least. Uh, but this is enjoyable work here. Right. Yeah. Yes. I, get to, I get to do this with you goof-offs, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> And so I think what you all are saying, I think, is most people's impression of go from the for-profit to the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You expect to take a pay cut. That's just part of what you're getting yourself into. Right. Yes. And I, of course, was interested in seeing, well, exactly how much of a pay cut are mm-hmm. we all taking from going from corporate into nonprofit? And what I found was very surprising. Mm-hmm. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, when you match Nonprofit employees with someone doing the same job in a for-profit, the nonprofit person makes $8 more Hmm. per hour. It's actually a pay bump for working for nonprofits. 
Now, to, there's the big caveat. Yeah. yeah. You probably were not doing financial education in your corporate job. No. You were doing no. something different. No, I was a stockbroker. So it's very different. Yeah, it was a couple <laughs> so, of slightly. Yeah, there, there, there's yeah. definitely <laughs> yeah. a difference. There's going to be a difference, yeah. But you're also, you know, your soul is in balance. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was a brain surgeon. So, oh, gosh. So there was a lot of difference Obviously, there. Obviously, yeah. 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 I so. can see that. An amateur brain surgeon, though. Well. Kind of fly by night. <laughs> YouTube it. Now, now. <laughs> yeah, right. The YouTube brain surgery. Just watch this video real quick. Hang on a second. Yeah. It's all in the hands. Five minutes. I'll be ready. It's all in the hands. <laughs> Chris does have gentle hands. That's right. Yes. Steady, That's gentle it. hands. That's Soft. it. All right. Easy Soft. Now. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so for people who are thinking, how is it possible for nonprofit employees to make more than their for-profit counterparts? Uh, mm-hmm. If you break this down, there's a few things that at least was news to me. One of them is that very literally nonprofits cannot make a profit, right? Duh. So if you have a for-profit organization, they take the extra money left over and they give it to investors. They give it to the owners. Nonprofits sometimes say, we've got to spend this money somehow. Well, let's pay our employees. They have to. Sure. Or, honestly, what can we do more in the community? Yeah. Because you, that's oftentimes just the, that's the, how the, ours goes. Yeah, ours the, is okay. We can give more can out give more. to the folks that need it. Um, I know for our director, I know she went several years, kind of sacrificing her pay increase yeah. to build the program and to bring other staff on. And she's, you know, she's gotten her very well-deserved pay increase recently. But again, like I said, you know, most of our income is going straight out. But this is the thing, though. I don't think people realize how much work you all are actually doing. Sure. Not just the serving individuals, but then you are also actually very engaged with writing grants, trying to get more resources and money and things of that nature to not and not even for yourself. I've sat in on several conversations. For those of you who don't know, I recently am serving on the board of the ARC. And the most amazing thing about these conversations is that it's never about me. It's about yeah. who are we for and how can we be for those individuals more? Right. Kudos yeah. to you and everyone at the ARC and other nonprofits. Honest, let's just be honest. In any other job, if we said that I have to work from seven to seven, not only just to do my work, but to help clean up, to help put things away, then I have to go write grants and go get money and all these different things. People are going to say, I need to get paid more. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I'm working 10, 12 in hour for days. Profit, yeah. You're always, like, you're always like, I'm more. doing extra. I should get But then the stigma sure. is different on your, when it, when it shouldn't be different. Right. And that's just, again, my humble opinion, but I do appreciate the work that you all are doing. Yeah. Right on. We need more people like you, I think. I agree. This is Stephanie Cockfield in the Athens Arc, Athens Arc with a K, dot org. <laughs> yes. Check them out. If this is something you care about, donate. All right. We have to take a break for now when we get back. Just who donates to charity and why. Stay tuned. Nothing Funny About Money is supported by listeners like you. You can find more information about how you can support public radio at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and wuga.org. This sucks. Couldn't help but Ah. notice you didn't close. Um, This is a sales call center. You must always be closing. Aren't we fundraisers? Fundraising is sales. Pick up the phone and try again. Uh, Okay, let's see. Hello? 
hello, uh, are you having a good day, sir slash madam? Uh, yeah, I... Yes, I am having a good day. Thank you for asking. I'm calling today to inform you about an exciting new opportunity to donate money. Oh, no, I'm not interested. You're losing her. Ah, um, no, please. (sighs) We need your money. Our entire operating budget depends on donations. The grants have dried up. The government isn't giving us anything. People need us. People are dying. What does your charity do? We provide rubber duckies to expectant duck parents so they can practice before raising actual ducklings. Oh, that's actually pretty awesome. I love animals. Oh, great. I've never got this far in the script before. I'll give you $5,000. Is a check okay? Yes. Thank you. All right. What you just heard was a dramatization. This story ended on a positive note. Sadly, most fundraising calls go unanswered. Our nation's ducks need your support. Little duckies depend on their duck mommies and duck daddies. Yet these ducks are only rarely provided with adequate parental training. Please give what you can, and together, we can ensure no baby ducks ever fall into a grate on the street ever again. Welcome back. I'm Matt Gorin, here with Michael Thomas, and you're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. Duck-based philanthropy makes up less than 5% of all charitable giving. Who else is giving, and why? Well, like we said at the beginning of this episode, many billions of dollars are given away by some very wealthy people. And you know what? I want to say that these people are just very generous, but I think some of them just want to avoid taxes. Avoid taxes? What does that sound? I think it's a generic shock sound effect that plays every time we say, avoid taxes. Is that the same one that played when we talked about student loans? Oh, wait, that's different. Yeah, that's more of a dun-dun-dun. So, what were we talking about? You were saying some people donate for the tax write-off. Right. You know, when you go to Goodwill and they ask if you want a receipt. Yeah, everybody wants the receipt. Okay, and what do you do with the receipt? I lose the receipt immediately. What are you supposed to do with the receipt? File it with your taxes. Right. And what does that do? Lowers your taxes? Nope. What? See, this is a big misconception. We're going to need some help unpacking this. And I know just who to call. Our friend Stephen Kuzniak from Canon Financial Strategist right here in Athens, Georgia. Why do we need help? I was an accountant for three years. Michael, shh, it's ringing. Hello? Hey, Steven, it's Matt. Matt who? Matt from Nothing Funny About Money. Oh, wait, I think, I think we already donated to your show. Oh, no, it's nothing like that. Oh, are, are you sure? Yeah, we're actually on the air now, and I'm hoping you can unpack some tax questions for me. Oh, okay, fantastic. Uh, how can I help today? We're talking about how donating money can save you on taxes. Well, uh, I think it certainly can for some people. Wait, why only some people? Uh, well, the tax laws have changed over the last few years, and it's, uh, it's reduced the number of people who actually itemize their tax returns and actually get a tax benefit for giving. So how much does somebody need to donate to see any tax savings? A couple different factors, but depending on how much someone pays in state, local tax, mortgage interest, uh, generally gifts over $5,000 or so start to see a slight reduction in taxation for married filing jointly couples. sounds like a lot more than the average person's going to donate in a year. Certainly, it is quite a high threshold. 
So that is to say that for most of us, or almost all of us, in fact, donating to charity is not going to lower our taxes. I think certainly the threshold for donations has increased for traditional gifting, at least on the tax side of it, for sure. So let's say I'm trying to get some kind of tax savings for my charitable giving. Is there anything that I could do, any slightly more advanced strategy to take advantage of? One of the things that we see people do quite often, and this is a simplified strategy of some more complex strategies, but for someone, maybe they're getting towards the end of the year and they have the ability to do annual giving. They may, instead of doing annual giving each year, they may lump their annual giving for multiple years into a single year. This would allow someone to take an itemized deduction the year they do the giving and the standard deduction in future years. So instead of donating $3,000 in year one and year two, donate six and walk away with some tax savings. What about those people who say $3,000 times two is still just way outside of my budget? Should they just not donate to charity at all? Well, I think that's a different question. I think for most people who are charitably inclined, the tax strategy is just one small portion. Um, I know for my, my wife and I, we're excited to to give to the organizations that we support because uh, we really just enjoy what they're doing for the community. And we have a lot of great local nonprofits in Athens that uh, we just really appreciate. Speaking of which, you are a supporter of Nothing Funny About Money, and you could go right now to nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org slash donate and give even more. Hey, I'm, I'm not giving another $50,000. My wife's still uh, giving me a hard time about the last time. Stephen, without your help, we couldn't put a lighthearted Matt, spin. Matt, Matt, let me stop you there. I've got to go. Have a great day. Okay. Goodbye. I see. You were just calling to hit him up for money. What reasons other than a tax break could there possibly be to donate to charity? Our culture values charity. We have a general sense that it's the right thing to do. Some of that comes from religion. In fact... All five of the world's major religions place an emphasis on charitable giving. Locally, Athens Church, a church that I attend, has been participating since 2011 in a large campaign called the Be Rich Campaign, which has donated $43 million nationwide since its inception in 2007. Athens Church campaign primarily focuses on providing food, supplies, and transportation to kids in low-income schools. And that sense of social responsibility can get amplified to a sort of peer pressure. When the offering basket goes around a church, you can see who's putting money in and who isn't. Remember the ice bucket challenge for ALS a few years ago? Did, did you do it? Funny story, I thought it was the iced tea challenge. Oh, my goodness. I just drank a lot of iced okay. tea. Well. $115 million was raised in 2014, the year that the Ice Bucket Challenge went viral, as opposed to just $20 million the year before. Celebrities like Chris Pratt, Oprah, and LeBron James got in on it. And then all the cool kids at your high school started doing it. And if you didn't, it meant that you hated that guy from Tuesdays with Maury. Peer pressure. It's not just for bullying your friends into smoking cigarettes under the bleachers. It can be an effective fundraising strategy. There's also an element of status and prestige awarded to philanthropists that donate a lot of money, like maybe they'll name a wing of a museum after you. A big honor. These sorts of huge donations can be a way to live forever, right? Like Andrew Carnegie. 
The guy has been dead for literally a hundred years, but every night of the week, some of the most acclaimed musicians in the world are performing at Carnegie Hall. I think if I ever had enough money to do something like this, I would just give the money away anonymously. Very generous of you, Matt. I would then tell everyone I did it. (laughs) So you look humble, but everyone still knows you donate all that money. Exactly. Double glory. Why not just wait for someone else to donate a bunch of money anonymously and then say you are the anonymous donor? Even better. Well, some people really want to give money away, and actually giving money to charity seems to make people happy. Of course, people might be happy because of the prestige or the social benefits, but researchers like Michael Norton of the Harvard Business School suggest it's the giving itself that makes us happy. Like how Santa says it's better to give than receive. That's exactly right. Here, Michael Norton describes one of his first studies where college students were given 5 or $20 and then randomly assigned to be charitable or spend money on themselves. What did we find when we called them back at the end of the day? People who spent money on other people got happier. People who spent money on themselves, nothing happened. It didn't make them less happy. It just didn't do much for them. And the other thing we saw is that the amount of money doesn't matter that much. So people thought that $20 would be way better than $5. In fact, it doesn't matter how much money you spent. What really matters is that you spent it on somebody else rather than on yourself. You know, I think that's so important. It doesn't matter how much you give. Just give. You don't need to be a billionaire to make a difference to someone, and you don't need to give a lot to feel good about yourself. Yeah, and Michael Norton shares a story in the same TED Talk in which a woman in Uganda bought a neighbor malaria medicine, maybe 10 bucks, but it literally saved that person's life. You don't need to spend much to do much. Michael and his team have replicated this work across the globe. Over and over again, they find the same thing. The more people spend on others, the happier they are. This is true in countries that are a lot about social status. It's true in countries where people are very individualistic. So feeling bummed out? Maybe donate $5 to a charity you like. And maybe you're thinking, look, I would love to donate. I just don't have any money. And I hear you. I mean, there are other ways to donate besides your money. Yeah, you can donate your skills. Let's say you're good at social media. I know several organizations right now that would love for you to help out with a social media plan. Like us. We haven't updated Instagram in like a year. And we're both very photogenic. No, Matt, you are the handsome one. (laughs) (laughs) You're the photogenic one. It's, It's not me. Like people don't look at our stuff and they're like, oh, look at Mike. No, they're like, oh, look at Matt. You are a handsome man. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you don't have social media skills, you can also donate your network. Do you know people who know people? Other people who do not know people need to know people, you know? If you're in the know now, help others know how to get in the know now. And the time to do this is now, not just on Thanksgiving or Christmas. People need your help year-round. Yes, they do. If you're looking for a place to volunteer, you can visit volunteermatch.org to be connected to opportunities in your area. If you need help, you can call 211 to be connected to resources near you. Lots of folks are very happy to help you. There is no shame in making them happy. If you're having trouble with any of this, reach out. Visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. 
and send us a message. We're happy to help over email, phone, or even in person. And if you help out an organization, we love to speak to an audience. We've given talks literally coast to coast and want to hear from you too. Is that it? I think so. Thanks again, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, our associate producer, Gene Davis, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. Thanks also to Stephanie Cockfield of The Ark and Sarah McKinney of the Athens Area Community Foundation. And thanks to Stephen Kuzniak from Canon Financial Strategists, as well as Jimmy Sanders and Kathy Bradbury from WUGA. And thank you for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. This show is recorded in the studios of WUGA Athens on the University of Georgia campus. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.